0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Experience Boy Bike Podcast. This is episode number two, part two. I'm Seth Dubois, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking about the Steens Mazama 1000 race, uh, essentially my race overview. Um, the Steens Mazama 1000 was the first self-supported ultra-endurance race I've done. The part one of, um, of podcast episode number two goes into my planning for the race and the logistics. So, Um, if you're interested in that, feel free to listen to that first, uh, that may give you, give you a little bit of background before launching into this episode. Um, but yeah, so for this one, I'm just going to be talking about the, the race in general and my experience during it. So thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy. All right, moving into the fun stuff. So this is, um, I'm going to get into the, to the race overview. Uh, so I wake up pretty early. Um, I'd say about a couple hours early before the race, the race started at 7am. If I remember correctly. Um, I, I was fortunate to, the race starts at the, at the Tilikum bridge in Portland. And I was fortunate enough to live, um, at the time I was maybe like a 15 minute bike ride from the start of the race. So my, uh, I had some family that was coming to, um, to meet me at the start and I just decided to meet them, uh, before the start, uh, get some food with them at a, at a breakfast diner. Um, so the place I stopped at is called my father's place, uh, just a little breakfast diner on the way over to the start of the race. Um, I had a, uh, gigantic breakfast, highly recommended, um, obviously (laughs) get as many calories in as possible before the ride. Uh, I've made, I've made the mistake of having less calorie dense meals in subsequent races. And it has, it's hurt me real, real bad. It's made for a, for a pretty difficult day because as soon as you get on that bike and you're riding for through the day, um, it's, it gets really difficult to kind of, uh, dig yourself out of that that calorie um, calorie calorie deprived state. So, big breakfast, um, and I also decided to order some extra hash browns. Uh, I had a I had a spare Ziploc baggie in my half frame um, my half frame bag, and so I ordered some extra extra hash browns. Stuffed them in this little uh, sandwich baggie, and then put them in my my half-frame bag, so I had something that was uh, that was calorie dense and easy to eat for the race. Um, The funny thing about this is, uh, while so I I also put a little ketchup on them, Um, but these ended up lasting me. uh, I think it was over two days into the race and, um, it was kind of like, it was, they were very, they can I had them, um, with me at a very convenient time where I had just run out of, uh, most of my food and water. Um, and then I just had these little hash browns left. I was kind of worried because I had actually forgotten about them. That's why I still had them. Um, and they were, they were just sitting in my half sip bag and, uh, So I was kind of worried because I'm like, yeah, these are kind of old and they're, they're mixed with ketchup. Um, But yeah, it all worked out and I had some spare calories. So, you know, if you can start off with, uh, with, um, I mean, obviously it's important to start off with food. uh, But I really like to have um, relatively hearty food, not necessarily just like, like goo gels and that type of stuff. Um so yeah, I had I had breakfast with um with family at the restaurant and then they drove over to the start of the race and I ended up riding over. Um all the uh all of the racers were kind of just like hanging out and, and chatting. Some of the racers from last year were hanging out and chatting. Um Craig Polly was there hanging out with everybody. Um and yeah, it was kind of just nice and low key. Um Nathan Jones, the race director, just said a couple brief things before getting the race started, uh, and then he led everybody on a neutral rollout where um, he was kind of leading the charge, and we all just rode together uh, pretty pretty easy through, um, through the town, and then as we got out of town, Nathan uh, stepped away from the lead, and the, the race uh, officially started. So, I had, um, unfortunately had to, uh, had to pee real early into the start. Um, I don't remember when, but it was like maybe 20, 30 miles or so. Um, really, really annoying. But, uh, apparently I just had too much coffee or hydrated too well. So, I stopped and found a tree and, um, I tried to be as quick as possible. But by the time I got on my bike, uh, pretty much everybody, um, that was, you know, in the, in the main pack kind of just rode away from me. And I also hit a, hit a stoplight at the same time as I got on my bike. So, um, yeah, that was a little frustrating, but I think it was a a good way to not get caught up in, in, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe a faster pace or just kind of ride my own race. Um, I found for, for these, types of events. And then also for training, I really, really enjoy, uh, riding on my own. Um, it's still, it's still great to, you know, to ride with some training buddies for sure. Uh, but there's, there's a, there's a lot of value for me in, um, in doing these races alone, because then I'm able to kind of just listen to my body and I feel like I can actually push a little bit better, uh, when I'm on my own. And when the pressure is just, um, the pressure is, is not necessarily external, but more internal and, and me just trying to, trying to find that other level for that other level of performance, um, based on, based on pushing, uh, pushing myself for my own means rather than, um you know, trying to, trying to get away from somebody or, or chase somebody down. Um, yeah, so I, I did end up just slowly reeling in the main pack, uh, over a handful of miles and ended up catching up to, um, the two guys that were, that were in the lead, uh, maybe about 50 miles in Dennis Hahn and Bun Colwell. Um, so we ended up just riding, riding together for a couple miles. And then we ended up taking a right onto the Clackamas Highway, um, which ends up uh, heading, which ends up bringing the the race towards Bend. So we take a right onto the Clackamas Highway. Um, Ben's in the lead. I am right behind him, and Dennis Hahn is is just behind us. And so we're riding a couple miles, and then all of a sudden, Ben kind of stops abruptly uh, as he's in front of me, and I swing out to the left. And I'm like, Oh, Hey, are you all right? And he ended up getting, um, I'm not sure if he was actually stung by a bee or if one just flew into his, uh, into his Jersey, but his Jersey was, was zipped halfway down and yeah, a bee flew in. Um, so he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Uh, you know, just a little bee scare. (laughs) Um, so I ended up going on ahead and, uh, you know, I'm just riding and riding and, at some point I look back and he's not behind me. So I'm like, Whoa, uh, this was not anticipated at all. But, uh, around 60 miles in, I was, um, I was in the lead of the race. So, uh, yeah. So I'm just like, okay, time to, uh, time to see how, how much I can hold this. Um, so I just started pressing a little bit and started riding through, um, through the Estacada area. Uh, so if you've been back there to to kind of go, like, drive to, um, like, Brighton Bush Hot Springs or Bagby Hot Springs, um, the roads are, they're better now, but they were um, incredibly, incredibly pothole So you had to look out for the potholes. Uh, it's beautiful. It's really, really beautiful because it's just, like, these windy, twisty, turny, roads with rolling hills and uh you're in the you're kind of just in the middle of the the old growth forest there are massive trees to each side of you um and at this time of year uh there were just like these little white butterflies out everywhere um so it was it was beautiful and at first i thought the butterflies were just like falling leaves um and uh, as i got closer i noticed it was just a mass of butterflies all over the place. Uh, so many that I was actually getting like slapped in the face as I was, <laughs> as I was riding by these little butterfly wings. Um, so 200 miles in, um, I make it to Detroit Lake. And, uh, at this point, uh, at this point, Dennis Hahn ended up catching me, uh, because there was, there was a little confusion on, to the route on my part. Um, so I was just kind of like standing uh, standing um, at this, this little fork wondering where I should go when Dennis came up on me. And um, then he just, you know, kind of told me the route and I was like, all right, cool. Um, so we just ended up riding together for a little bit into this rest stop uh, near D- Detroit Lake. Um, I ended up st- stalking up on just quick Food options, Dennis sat down to eat. Um, and then I was on my way. Uh one of the food options I chose was a Choco Taco, and that was a terrible mistake. Um I I hadn't really had issues. I've had like during my randomers or the brevets, I have I've had some ice cream before because it's a great way to um especially on hot days, like, you know, it's delicious and a great way to to get in some calories, but it did not work for me at that time, and uh, my stomach was really, really angry for uh, for maybe, I don't know, 50 to 75 miles. Um, but I ended up having some – I typically bring some Tums with me on these events uh, because uh, obviously, number one, your stomach can get upset from all the crap you're eating, but also uh, I've heard that the, the calcium carbonate is good for – mitigating any potential cramps um, uh, yeah so potentially dual purpose um, so I make it into sisters and um, do a little do a little wa- water resupply um, and grab some more food uh, so I'm not necessarily um, yeah I'm, I'm starting to feel better at this point after thanks to the toms. So my uh my first main like big stop was in was in Bend which was 200 miles into the race. Um I may have I may have said my the Detroit Lake stop was 200 miles but that was actually 100 miles in. So I stop in Bend and 200 miles into the race there's a Safeway. Uh so I just swing in there and I grab a bunch of food, I grab some sandwiches. Um some V8, uh, some snacks. And I just sit down on the, on the curb outside, uh, to eat as quick as possible. Um, I did pull up trackleaders.com to, uh, to kind of see where I was in relation to everybody. And I could tell that Ben and Dennis were, were rolling into town pretty quickly. So I just tried to, uh, to eat pretty quickly and, and get rolling. Um, by this time it was, it was getting a little late. It was getting dark. Um, so as I rolled out, I put on all my headlights, my rear lights, and I was just really excited to to actually start riding into the night. Um, yeah, it was it was an exciting moment for me. Uh, so riding through the night, um, it is. It's I you start kind of getting as you leave Bend, you start getting into the um, the more remote uh, part of the ride, uh, where the roads are very, very long stretches. Um, it's starting to get pretty dry. Uh, so there aren't many trees around and, um, not much traffic. So especially at night, it was great. Um, you know, it made me feel pretty safe. Um, and then also there's, there's a lack of light pollution, uh, just because it's, it's getting more remote. Um, so as you're riding at night, it is just like, it's beautiful. Like the stars are out. Um, you can see the stars. Uh, the moon was, I think it was, um, I think it was a new moon. Uh, I don't remember specifically, but the moon wasn't, wasn't terribly bright. So, um, uh, yeah, I know, I know the prior year there was a a full moon, um, around the time of the race. So people mentioned that it was a lot easier riding at night. Just because of that brightness, but we didn't have that, so at least I was able to see a ton of stars. Um, I ended up stopping. Uh, I ended up starting to to really really get tired around. Um, let's see, around two to three in the morning. Um, I was, you know, kind of just, kind of just lacking motivation of um of being on the bike and wanting to wanting to get some sleep uh, but at the same time I was like man I am I'm leading right now I did not expect this you got to keep it going so I started I tried to uh I think it was Riley or Brothers Oregon um around 300 miles in I decided to make my first stop and try to do a uh, a, a really quick like power nap um so I ended up stopping in uh, at this little rest stop where they had these like cement individual uh, bathrooms, and they were pretty big. It was like maybe I don't know, maybe like eight by ten feet, or you know something like that. It, pretty pretty decent size, and they're all individual. Um, and I had through my through my little bit of research. Uh, with, with bikepacking and ultra endurance racing, you know, you hear a lot about people just sleeping in these things because it protects you from the elements. You can lock the door. Um, it's safe, it's warmer. So I was just like, all right, whatever, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to go into this little, you know, bathroom. Um, I laid out my little foam pad. I pulled out my bivvy and, um, I tried to uh tried to sleep. It did not work. <laughs> I was so I was laying kind of next to the the door um which was as far away from the toilet as possible. And uh there was a breeze coming through the door which was just really really cold. Um and even if I was in my bivy it didn't really help. Um there were flies, uh, you know, just buzzing around, which was really, really irritating. Um, so my, my goal was just to do a 15 to 20 minute power nap because, uh, I knew, um, the, the other riders were coming up behind me. So I didn't want to, I didn't want this to be a long rest because I didn't, um, I just wanted to be able to, to maintain the lead and keep going. So after maybe like five, 10 minutes, I was just like, all right, this is not working. I'm not going to fall asleep. And I just packed up my stuff and got back on the bike. Um, as I pulled out to the, uh, pulled out from the rest stop back onto the highway. Um, I noticed that there was a, a blinking red light up ahead of me. And so immediately I'm like, all right, well, That's you know that's one of the cyclists. Um, So no idea who it was. Uh, Also one one thing to note in Eastern Oregon, um, at least if you have T-Mobile, terrible service. So uh, a lot of times I didn't have service. I kept my phone in airplane mode anyways, but um, even if I tried to like pull track leaders to see where people were. I wouldn't be able to. Um, so I'd say for like 60 to 70%, eh, maybe like 60% of this race. Um, even if I wanted to look at track leaders, uh, I was, I was kind of just blind and had no idea where anybody was, which is great because it allowed me to focus on my race and kind of mitigated that tendency to, to pull on my phone to, to see where people are. So as I'm riding and trying to catch the cyclist in front of me, um, I noticed that they have uh, a headlamp on and they're kind of, they're sweeping the headlamp from left to right, left to right, left to right. And I was kind of wondering, you know, are they, what's, what's going on exactly? Um, Is it a cyclist looking for a place to sleep? Is it somebody in the race looking for a place to sleep? Uh, Or, you know, there, there were periodically houses on the road. Um, So, I don't know what made me think this, but I was, I was definitely, you know, kind of in a, in a sleep deprived state at this point because it was, I don't know, maybe four or five in the morning. Um, actually no, it was, yeah, it was probably about four in the morning cause it was still dark and I was like, Oh, maybe this is a, uh, a newspaper delivery by bike. <laughs> No idea why I thought that, um, but it took, I don't know, it took maybe 20, 30 minutes to to catch up uh, to the cyclist, and it ended up being Ben, um, but uh, I, for some reason, I like—I said hi. Um, I didn't realize it was Ben. It was dark, uh, and I just wasn't thinking straight, and so I was just like, hi, and I kept riding, um, and so I, I talked to him uh, a little while later after the race. And I was like, Hey, was that you? Um, you know, leaving, leaving brothers or something. And he was like, yeah, that was me. He's like, you didn't really say much. You just kept riding. I was like, Oh yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't, I was in a weird state. Uh, I thought I didn't realize it was you doesn't make sense at all, but yeah. So weird things can, can start happening to you as you're, um, to your, to your reasoning as you are, uh, you know, riding through the night or lacking sleep. So as I'm, as I'm still riding, um, I see these, I see more red blinking lights and I'm like, Oh man. All right. So somebody else, um, or like maybe this has been, even though I just passed him. Uh, yeah. Doesn't make sense at all, but those blinking red blinking lights just ended up being reflective lights from mailboxes um, that were kind of seemed like they were blinking because um, as I was going by trees, I could kind of uh, I don't know kind of see the the lights in the distance or the um, the reflectives in the distance. But yeah, your I mean your mind just plays super weird tricks on you. As I was riding through the night, um, I I thought I saw. Uh, Saw like glimpses of animals, um, you know, just popping out from the brush, and you know, it could have been the fact at some at some points, but um, it was very, uh, it happened a lot. So I'm I'm assuming I didn't see, you know, rabbits and um, uh, penguins <laughs> popping out of the brush in Eastern Oregon. Uh, the penguins were were later on. That was a couple days in. Um, so. The, uh, as the, you know, as the sun's rising, um, it's just, it's just beautiful again, because I'm on these long straight roads, which are really, really mind dumbing. Uh, but at the same time, at least they're kind of rolling. So it's not just, you know, flat and straight. There wasn't really any bad wind, so I can't complain about that. Um, yeah, it was just rolling really long, straight roads. And as the sun comes up, that makes for a incredible, incredible sunset because the sky just seems so incredibly vast. Um, and you've just got this big sun, you know, rising around you. Uh, it was, it was beautiful. Um, I do have, I don't know if I have photos of that, but, um, on Experienced com, I'm gonna post a, a gallery of a lot of the, um, a lot of the the camera phone shots that I took throughout the race. So uh if you're interested in what the route looks like, um yeah, you can you can take a look at that. So moving on, the um you know, I'm riding as the as the sun's coming up. Uh it's a it it's a beautiful clear day. Fortunately, um I was I was really fortunate. I guess we were all mostly really fortunate with weather because Um, I never, there was never really any adverse weather. Uh, there was no, there were like some quick sprinkles, but, um, most of the time it was, uh, it was pretty dry and clear. Um, aside from, aside from two things, um, there were, there were some forest fires during the summer. So getting into Crater Lake as at the base of Crater Lake, it was, it was pretty, pretty dreary um, just in terms of like l- very low visibility. And I wasn't even sure if, um, if I'd be able to see uh, Crater Lake as I, as I climbed because uh, supposedly based on some fires that had happened, it uh, reduced visibility significantly um, when you were at the at peak of Crater Lake for being able to see the, um, the lake. But those were those were the only those were really the only two um, concerns, like the low visibility at Crater Lake, um, and then uh, just cold nights, um, depending on where you were. Uh, so I was just riding through this, um, riding along the road, heading riding along the uh, the highway, heading into um, what is it? I think it's Brothers. Uh, let me double check this, no Burns, heading into Burns, which is pretty much like the last major stop, It's there's just like a big truck stop uh, where you can get food and uh, and water, all that type of stuff. So, um, I headed into Burns, I stopped there, um, I did have some service, so I pulled up track leaders and I noticed Ben was uh, a couple miles away from me, um, so I tried to make the the stop as quick as possible before just riding on. And then from Burns, uh, I believe it's about fifty miles until you get to uh, French Glen. So as you as you hit Burns, that is, um, we end up we're riding mostly east, going from uh, Portland, Oregon, to Burns. And then as we hit Burns, we start riding south uh, towards French Glen, which is the which is a a really really small town, super cute small town that's at the base of the Steens mountain. Um, so there's about 50 miles to, uh, to get to French Glen from Burns. So I just stocked up, um, at the, uh, at the gas station, headed out started riding. And yet again, these, these roads are, um, they're just awesome. Like it's, it's such a long stretch. You can see so far ahead of you. Um, and it, it does make it a little bit mind-numbing, but at the same time, uh, I just thought it was really cool and kind of meditative in a way, um, for me at least. Uh, so you can just kind of focus on your cadence, um, you know, listen to some music, listen to a podcast, an audiobook, whatever you have saved on your saved on your phone, uh, or just enjoy the um, you know the surroundings with no music. Uh, I I've actually found that um, as I'm getting tired, especially at night, I can, I can stay awake significantly better and not listening to anything. Um, sometimes I need it just for like a a little motivation boost, but, uh, it actually, I actually stay awake much better. Um, not, not listening to anything because sometimes I can kind of tune out and then there's this like little, like, uh, you know, this like voice in the back of my head, voice in my ears or like some music that kind of just like drones on and um ends up kind of putting me to sleep. Uh but I don't know that's just that's just me that's what I found. Um yeah, so moving on, I'm I'm riding along these super super long roads um from Burns into French Glen and I'm trying to see if I can spot uh you can I was able to kind of like see uh the mountainous region in the distance um for the Steens Mountain and I was trying to figure out which one was Steen's, um, which I I really couldn't tell at this point because I was still miles and miles away, um, but uh, it took it took quite a while just getting to French Glen. Um, you kind of you kind of round this round this bend uh, that opens up the view to the town um, after like thirty to forty miles, and so it's you know just one of those things where you're like oh yes finally I see the town. I actually can see where I'm headed, rather than just like this vast distance in front of you. Um, so it's super exciting. Uh, just just seeing the town and um, getting to the point of of rolling in. And so there's French Glen has a has a little hotel uh, that has a restaurant in it, and then there's a convenience store next to it. Um, so the tricky thing is, the the restaurant is actually like a family like a family dining situation, um, or like a community dining situation. So you actually have to reserve it, reserve a specific time to eat there. Um, so I kind of just, I chose not to do that, uh, because I figured it'd be a lot quicker just going into the convenience store and grabbing food and water. Um, and then also I chose not to reserve a hotel that night because, um, I was, I was trying not to, not to, uh, waste time by by staying in locations. I just wanted to find a really quick camp to or a really quick location to do some stealth camping when I decided to sleep. Um, so I rolled into French Glen and let me see I've got uh, I've got some notes. So I pulled into the race started on on July 6th, I think I said July 9th earlier, but it started on July 6th. I pulled into French Glen July 7th at 11 a.m. That is 386 miles into the race. Um, I filled up my water bottle. I filled up or water bottles. I grabbed food, and I was also really nervous about the availability of water uh, for the for the climb up to up the Steens Mountain, because the climb up the Steens Mountain is 6,000 feet. It's all gravel, um, and it's 6,000 feet in elevation, and it's all gravel. Uh, I believe it's let's see. It's about 29 miles in total. Um, it ended up taking me six hours just to get to the peak uh, from the base of French Glen. <clears throat> so I ended up grabbing some extra water bottles and putting them in my, my portable backpack. And I just carried it. Um, just carried the portable backpack, the little packable backpack on my back. With spare water bottles, it was super annoying, um, but I felt like I was a lot more comfortable having excess water uh, climbing up this dry mountainous region, um, and it was pretty much like 90 degree weather, 90 degree weather, uh, or 9, yeah. <laughs> um, and I had I had my UV arm protection things on, arm sleeves on. I put my buff on because the The ride up, since it's all gravelly, there are still cars going up and down all the way up to the peak and coming back down. And when they drive by you, it just it just kicks up plumes of dust. Um, And so I had my I had my wool buff on uh, to to kind of protect myself from that and then also to protect myself from the sun. So I leave the um, I pulled into French Glen around 11 a.m. Uh, I took a little while in the convenience store, honestly, because I was just kind of nervous. I was like, man, this is super hot. Um, do I really want to be climbing this like midday? Should I try to take a, take a short nap right now? Uh, but I just decided to keep on, keep on going. Um, so I left French Glen around 1130 AM and just started my trek up the Steens mountain. Um, it starts off pretty simple. There is a little bit of washboard before washboard on the gravel before you actually get to climbing. Um, and then once you get climbing, you just climb and climb and climb and it's super twisty and turny. Um, there are so many, so many false summits. You think you're finally there and you think you see it and you just keep climbing more. And then you finally do end up seeing it, and it's seeing the peak, and it's still like an hour to two hours until you get to the top. Um, so it just it never it never seems to end. <laughs> um, I was riding on 30C tires. the The gravel was was pretty well packed. Um, there were some loose sections, so most of the time I was just sitting on my saddle um, to to keep my weight on my rear tire so that, um, so that the, the tire wasn't slipping out by, you know, by standing up and shifting my weight forward and removing that traction from the rear tire. So a lot of it was just sitting and spinning the whole time. Um, I actually never ended up using the spare water bottles that I had uh, packed in my backpack. So I, the, um, I had two 750 milliliters and then one 500 milliliter. Uh, that was enough for me for the six hours climbing. Um, uh, by the time I finally started getting to the top or actually by the time I got to the top, um, there's, there's a point where, you know, you can kind of, you can kind of choose to ride, but it's, it's a little bit more technical. Um, so I just dismounted and before you get to the peak, it's maybe like a 10, five to 10 minute, um, uh, hike a bike to the actual peak and, and, I, and as I was doing that, um, there weren't many people up there there were maybe like i don't know there i think there were two cars i saw maybe three to five people at the little parking area um but as i was climbing up uh the hike a bike section somebody comes up to me and they're like seth i was like uh what yeah and they're like oh we're um he's like oh i'm i'm following the uh the stein's 1000 race you're kicking ass I was like, Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, it was just really surprising (laughs) to see somebody at the peak of this mountain that I just climbed for six hours and they knew what I was doing. Um, it was amazing. It ended up being, um, his name's Braden Clough and he took some awesome, awesome photos of me. Um, I got, uh, I think he sent me three or four that are just super, super cool. They're all of me hiking, uh, hiking, walking my bike. Um, but, you know, at, at that point I could have, I could have been riding. It wasn't too terrible. Um, but I just didn't feel like getting back on my bike to get off it again, uh, as I got to the peak. So I wish I was riding the bike when he took those photos, but whatever. Um, they're still super, super cool. And there was somebody else that he was with who was taking a video. Um, and uh, so I just gave a little talk about, um, about the bike I was using and my gear and stuff, uh, for the video. Um, I I hung out at the peak for just a just a brief moment, um, talking to Braden. Sorry, I forget I forget the name of the other guy who was there. Um, so it was just it was nice to to actually see people and talk to people for a little bit because um, it you know gets a little lonely just being out on the road uh, for hours on end and not seeing anybody. So I turn around, start descending, and um, I end up riding by Ben and Dennis uh, on my descent and they're really not too far behind. so I was like that was kind of a wake-up call to me like, oh, maybe I I really did take way too much time in that little convenience store in French Glen. <laughs> um, or maybe I talked too much at the peak, but uh, whatever it was, you know it's always in hindsight and um, it was I was enjoying the moment. Um, but yeah, so I ride by them and i end up uh it take it took me about 2 hours and 20 minutes to actually descend the mountain and reach Flint, french glen so i left the i left the uh the town french glen at 11:30 a.m. and i ended up arriving at 6:40 p.m. by the time i pulled in i went into the um the french glen restaurant uh because um oh oh yeah yeah so uh, backtrack a little bit. I, to the French Glen restaurant and hotel has like this big grass field to the left of it, which is beautiful. Um, so I was like, Oh, it just looked like this, you know, nice plush grass and grass and it was 6:40, So, um, it wasn't terribly warm. And I was like, you know, I'll just, I should just find a, uh, a little bit of shade and try to do a power, try to take a power nap. Because I was definitely exhausted. Uh, the climbing that long kept me awake. The descent kept me awake because it was it was gravelly and I had to I had to pay attention. But as soon as I started like hitting hitting flat ground and rolling into French Glen, I I realized like, yeah, I'm tired. I you know I really haven't slept yet. Um, I I tried to, but I haven't and maybe it's maybe this is a good time to do so uh but as soon as i kind of kind of situated myself um, i was just getting annihilated with mosquitoes there were there were yeah a ton of mosquitoes um even though i had i had a little bit of bug spray on me it was just it was useless so heads up uh when you're in french glen if you're doing this race um be wary of the mosquitoes and if you want to sleep in French Glen, getting a hotel is definitely recommended or the motel. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure which one it is. Um, so I, I abandoned that idea to sleep outside and I just walked over to the, um, uh, walked over into the restaurant to see if there was, if there were like any quick bites I could get without, um, without, uh, doing, creating a reservation. And as soon as I walk in, I see Braden and the other guy who had met me at the, um, at the peak of Steen's and they're like, Oh, Hey Seth, if you want to, you know, if you want to get some food, feel free to sit down and eat with us. And, uh, I thanked him. I really appreciated it. But due to the fact that this race was self-supported, um, I felt like I would have kind of been cheating that whole, that whole idea if I, you know, just stepped into somebody else's ret- reservation because they offered it to me rather than myself making that reservation, uh, myself, which is what, you know, you're, you're pretty much supposed to do for self-support. Uh, so I politely declined. And as I was walking out, um, there was this couple who met up with me, uh, just like on the, on the doorstep of the, of the restaurant. And they're like, Oh, Hey, did you just bike up and down the mountain? And I was like, yeah, it was. And so it was just, uh, it was a, a brief conversation about my experience biking up and down the Steens. Um, but during that time, I was still getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. Um, I feel like they weren't because I was probably significantly stinkier than they were. <laughs> just sweaty and sticky and gross. So the mosquitoes are probably like, oh, this is amazing. And just like hovering around me and not even giving care to them. So as we were talking, I'm like, I'm sorry, this is... I'm getting eaten alive right now um, I just need to get get back on the mic the bike and and keep moving they're like oh yeah totally we understand um, so yeah it was it was cool to uh, you know to talk to them about my experience but I had to go because those mosquitoes suck um, so I start riding and I you there's there's a short climb out of French Glen and um, which is just on the road. Uh, It's relatively steep, but doesn't take too long. And I'd say, let's see, about an hour or two, probably about two hours after leaving French Glen, um, the main water bottle that I always go for started running low, and I realized that I had completely forgotten to fill up my water bottles when I had stopped. I grabbed... um, I think I, I ended up grabbing like a cookie or a couple of cookies in the restaurant and I completely forgot to go to the convenience store to get more food or to fill my water bottles. I was just getting so distracted by the mosquitoes that I just wanted to get out, um, which was uh, really, really unfortunate <laughs> because um, this this is the the point where I finally end up um, realizing that I had some hash browns left and I was, cause I was pulling up my, my cue sheet and my notes that I had saved on my phone about the route to see if there was anything that was coming up. And unfortunately, um, there wasn't, there was, there was no, like there was a restaurant, but it was already closed. Um, and so I just had to, uh, kind of wait until um, I went through the next the next big factor of the race was going through the heart um, oh, what's it called? Let's see, the Heart Mountain uh, Wildlife Refuge. And it is about 30 miles long, all gravel, and about 60 to 70% of that is the worst gravel I've ever ridden on. It is so ridiculously bumpy. the The washboard variation, um, it is it was brutal. And I at first I was trying to find uh, ways to to avoid um, you know the worst bumps and, and trying to create a path. But um, going onto the shoulder of the gravel road was even worse because it was a lot of the a lot of the gravel had been washed over to the shoulder. So you just kind of like sunk in. And even though it was less washboardy, it was slowing you down even more. Um, so that was, that was a really, really difficult time for me, the, the Heart Mountain Antelope Refuge. Um, especially because leading into it, I was excited about getting back onto gravel. Um, I was a little nervous about the fact that I was running low on water. But I knew, um, based, on, based on the cue sheets, I knew that the closest the next closest water stop was at the end of the refuge, which is where the visitor center was. And that was only like 25 to 30 miles. So, um, you know, theoretically, based on the pace that I was going, maybe around two hours. Uh, but that obviously did not end up being the case just because the, the gravel and the washboard was so rough. So the Heart Mountain Antelope Refuge, uh, or Wildlife Refuge, I forget... Um, it was, it was definitely the point of, of like mental, like really, really testing myself mentally because Steen's was difficult, but it was just, it was just more so frustrating because of all the, the false summits, the false peaks. Um, it, I didn't necessarily find it that terribly difficult. Um, you know, you just kind of had to buckle in and, and be ready to, to climb for hours on end. Um, and you just, you know, set your pace to accommodate for that. But the heart mountain antelope or yeah, the wildlife refuge (laughs) was, uh, I was, I was really, really getting hit hard with sleep deprivation at this point. Um, not only was I trying to find a, a route through the, or the least bumpy route through the washboard, which is not possible. But I was also um, just kind of like just kind of weaving because I was falling asleep. Um, the the as the as the sun was going down, the light kind of played tricks on me. I had um, I had my headlights on to to kind of have a general idea of where I was going, and the washboard ended up um, the light going over the washboard was kind of like mesmerizing in a way. And so I had to stop like looking at the washboard. I I lifted my lights a little bit more to, um, to be able to just see further in front of me. And, uh, that started playing tricks on me too, because I started thinking that I, I, I would see people like in the brush, um, to the side of the roads, to the sides of the road, because, the road, it was just, it was just a gravel road. And then to the left and to the right was, was just some, like, it wasn't necessarily dense brush, but, um, you know, it was just, it was all, all brush and it was already dark, uh, difficult to see, but it was, um, really, you know, again, this is, this is just one of those really beautiful moments where it was really secluded. Um, and I do have photos of this when, the sun was setting there is there's a body of water in the distance um as you're going down the the gravel road and the sunset was just bouncing and reflecting off this body of water and everything else around you around me was just dark uh except for some of the except for the stars that were coming out um so it was just it was like that in itself was mesmerizing too it was just super beautiful and um getting to these moments on rides like no matter how difficult it is at the time, um, even if I'm running low on water, if I just finished all the food that I had, uh, it's getting dark. I'm falling asleep. It's it's such a great reminder to me that, um, you know, I'm I am in this place right now, experiencing this view, which I otherwise never would have been able to experience um, if it weren't for doing this event. And if it weren't for pushing myself to be out here, um, and it just made, it really does just make it that much to me, it just makes it that much more, that much sweeter, uh, looking back on, especially, um, to have, to have earned seeing that, uh, you know, that beautiful sunset reflecting off of this Lake. Um, yeah, so that was, that was an, an awesome moment, um, but getting back to the difficult part, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just I was just weaving and struggling along this washboard, especially as the sun went down and it was just dark. Um, so at one point I stop and I decide to um, to pull up my headphones so I can listen to some music, hope, hoping that that would uh, that would kind of keep me awake a little bit more. As soon as I stop, um, I'm just in the middle of the road on the. Of this gravel road on my bike, and to the left of me, I see something like pop up from the bushes, and a light turns on, and it sweeps left, right, and then lands directly on me. And to th- to this day, I have no idea what it was. Um, I thought I was like, is is somebody like camping out there in like the middle of the brush? Um, there have been no signs of cars. No cars passed me for hours at this point. Uh, it was just really creepy. And, and especially for it being like late at night, um, being on this, you know, a bike, I can't really go too far on the, too fast on the road. Um, so without thinking or without, you know, pulling out my headphones, I just started riding again. I'm like, get out of here. Uh, no idea who that is. But uh, at, at this point, you know, I'm just exhausted. My mind was playing tricks on me. Um, so I was just a little nervous and even if it was just you know somebody camping who didn't mean any harm um it's it was just uh it was just a very eerie <laughs> eerie moment for me um so as you know especially already like seeing kind of thinking i saw stuff in the in the brush from the light playing tricks on my eyes um so yeah it just started going again that woke me up a little bit and within maybe 10 to 15 minutes there, uh, a light started shining behind me and coming closer. And I was like, Oh my God, is this, is this like that person? Like what's going on? Why are they, why are they following me? Why are they trying to track me down? But it ended up actually being, uh, Ben Colwell. Um, so he just flies by me on the gravel. He's not, you know, he's not doing what I'm doing where he's weaving and trying to find a track. He's just like barreling through it all. And, um, just flying and he 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 grows by me and he's like i forget what he said specifically but he was like isn't this fun and i'm like man uh sure (laughs) um so that was that was actually super invigorating it was the first time i saw him since i last passed him when he um potentially got stung by the bee and uh and it was the last time i would see him until um actually I didn't even see him at the end of the race. So yeah, he, he passed me. He ended up winning the race. He set the record and, uh, I came in, um, gosh, I don't remember. It was maybe like eight hours later. Uh, he, he really put some time on me. He did awesome. So yeah, so it was, it was a great, uh, actually great having him pass me because that kind of took the, the worry off me about whatever this random person may have been. And it was just nice to like kind of have company, even though, we weren't running together, it, I was still able to see him ahead of me. And also, um, it made me feel more comfortable about, uh, really just like pushing my bike over, over the washboard. Cause it's, um, it was the first time I'd really encountered rough washboard. Uh, I've, I've encountered rough or I've had more experience with, with washboard at this point, but honestly, it was just, it was super jarring to me. And I was really worried about, um, you know, like messing up my my carbon fork or my wheels or something. So I was, I was not really attacking it too aggressively. And as soon as he flew by, I was like, all right, okay, I can, I can be a little bit more aggressive with this. Um, even though if it, if it felt more uncomfortable. So for a little while I tried, um, keeping up with him and it was just, it was just not possible. So I went back into settling into my, my own rhythm, um, and just tried to keep an eye on like his his rear light and try to keep pace with that. Um, after what felt like forever, uh, because of you know for for numerous reasons, uh, I was I was beyond thirsty um, by the time he reached me, and we ended up still having uh, I don't know maybe maybe a half hour or more. Uh, until the visitor center at the end of the of the refuge so i finally make it to the visitor center and um it's dark it's very uninhabited uh it it seems like there are some people kind of like camping to the side um in a campground away from the visitor center but uh um so now at this point i'm like all right i need to find water And now I have to just like search the campground for a spigot, which fortunately wasn't too difficult because there was a spigot, um, uh, it was, it was relatively noticeable off the, off the kind of like the main path. But the weird part was as I got to the spigot, there were just like two boots sitting next to the spigot, like two, like, you know, tan work boots. And I was like, what the hell is going on? This place is so weird. (laughs) Just, you know, just some more eeriness to go along with it. Um, And so I was going to just fill up on water and kind of like camp near the campground. But I was like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I didn't feel like, um, I just kind of wanted to seclude myself and not be noticeable. So filled up on water and just kept riding for like 20 to 30 minutes later until I found a little, a little road that was off the, off the, the route. Um, so I took a, took a right onto that road and just like went into the brush, um, and, you know, laid down my bike, pulled out my bivy and, uh, tried to get to sleep, uh, which, which I did at first. I, let's see, um, on my notes. So this was 490 miles in where I'm finally, laying down and actually, I actually end up getting sleep. Um, it was 1220 AM at that point on the eighth. And I set an alarm for 20 minutes. Um, I slept for the full 20 minutes. Alarm goes off. I wake up and I was just, I was just immediately disoriented because it was so dark. All I could see were the, the stars above me. I couldn't really, my, my eyes were not adjusted to the, to the dark so there was, it was just like, it was like sensory deprivation in a way, Um, except for seeing the stars above me, which was, which was really incredible. Um, So it was really, yeah, really odd feeling to wake up to. But um, since then, uh, well, I mean, I just, I love camping and, you know, waking up to the stars anyways, as most people do. Um, So it was great after I got over that whole like sensory deprivation thing. Um, so I pack up my bivy, get on my bike and start riding. And within just a matter of minutes, um, I realized that I did not get enough sleep. Um, this, the, at this point I'm starting to realize, or since this, since this point and since this experience, I've realized, um, sleep deprivation is really like, it affects you in, in like an exponential factor and, um, and its effects are cumulative. So, uh, really finding a, a pattern and a method that works for you to, to maintain, um, maintain a little bit of, of, uh, recovery via sleep rather than just like pushing yourself to the edge until you're fully, until it's like completely required out of, out of necessity of, keeping you like awake on the bike or something. Um, yeah, so I found out that I should have slept earlier because that 20 minutes did nothing. Um, I was weaving back and forth on the gravel road again. And within 40 minutes, I just decided to sleep again. Um, this time I set my alarm for an hour. I slept through it. I woke up and I make it maybe about 50 minutes before uh, I had to, I had to sleep again. Um, it was just like complete lack of motivation. Uh, I was weaving, I was barely, you know, barely, barely like going a respectable, uh, pace in, in, um, regards to what I had been, what I had been riding at prior. So, uh, I just figured, you know, for, for safety sake, for efficiency's sake, um, just take that extra time, get more sleep. And try to try to try to rest, um, so that you can actually ride your bike normally. And so that third that third time, finally kind of did the trick. Um, I was at, at this point the the sun was starting to come out. I think I I think it was about four in the morning at this point. Um, and you know when they say, when you talk about when people talk about the witching hours between I think it's like two or four in the morning or. Or like one and three, I don't I don't remember specifically, but like that time frame between between one to four is without a doubt the the absolute um, you know hardest in terms of like mentally, and then and then just in terms of like lights uh, lights light playing games with you, your mind playing games with you, um, yeah. So if you can get to that, I found if I can get through that point, um, and and have the sun come up, then I can, uh, I immediately kind of feel reinvigorated. Um, and in subsequent races, I've been able to, to kind of ride through that point and into the, into the sunrise, um, through the sunrise. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I'm just, I'm awake again. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing, but again, it goes back into, um, you know, finding, find a routine that works best for you because, uh, mid, um, minimal sleep for short races is great. I mean, it's not great. It's possible. Um, but for longer races, having a routine is definitely, uh, definitely necessary. So as the sun comes up, um, my next stop is into Lakeview. Um, and it, it feels like it's, It's kind of just taking forever because it's a small, most of it's kind of like a small incline. Um, There's one point where I don't, I don't remember what they are, but they're, I think maybe like pronghorned antelope um, ended up pulling up like alongside me as I was cycling on the road. And they were to the left of me um, on the grass or like the brush. And they were just like hopping, hopping alongside me, hopping alongside me. And then they all just kind of scampered right in front of me, like a couple car lengths away. Um, and then, you know, hopped off into the distance. Uh, so that was, that was really cool. Um, again, just one of those things where it's like, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm being rewarded for, um, for (laughs) putting myself through this. And it's just one of the rewards that you get for, uh, you know, being in these remote places, not being in a, in a vehicle. Um, it just it opens up that much more opportunity to see to see beautiful stuff and engage with it and be be present. So I finally I finally as I mentioned I finally slept about four hundred ninety miles into the ride uh, while I was just leaving the Hart uh, Mountain Antelope Refuge uh, the wildlife refuge and Lakeview was uh, sixty miles away. So I still. Had sixty miles um, with no food. I had finished up my hash browns, and uh, that was, um, yeah, quite the trek. <laughs> I was very excited to to finally make it into Lakeview. Um, as I got into the town, there is there's a um, a small bike store there uh, called, or there's a local bike store there called Tall Town Bike and Camp. Um, and the owner, Tom, his wife, sorry, I forget her name. Um, she was actually, she had a, uh, a little stand at a, um, in a parking lot where, um, where she was like giving out some like food and drinks and there was a local reporter there. So I pulled up to them as I got into town and I just talked to the reporter for a short period, um, you know, grabbed, grabbed some snacks, thanked her. Uh, Tom was at the, um, he was at the bike shop where, um, he was obviously just working, but also a a big shout out to the both of them. Um, they're, they're super, super gracious and thoughtful because they also let the cyclists, um, either sleep there or I think, I believe they had a shower as well. So, um, I didn't, I didn't end up going in because it was, um, uh, just because there was a convenience store like right next to the uh, right next to the parking lot where I met them, and uh, I just wanted to keep going on, keep moving. But uh, yeah, just a shout out to Tall Town Biking Camp um, in Lakeview, Oregon. Super, uh, super great, gracious um, owners and people. So I got into. Uh, yeah, I finished up talking to the uh, the reporter and um, went into a convenience store, gas station store that was just like right next door. I had to get new AA batteries because my eTrex was running low on batteries, um, so I did that. I filled up my packable backpack and then just got on the road. Um, the next the next stop from Lakeview was, or the next stop that I was planning on making was Chiloquin, Uh, which is Lakeview is about 500, 550 miles in Chiloquin is about 640 miles into the race, um, into the route. So that's a 90 mile stretch where I was, uh, hoping to not make any stops. Um, I really just wanted to mitigate the amount of timing time. I was stopping as much as possible, especially if I was going to, um, I was, you know, hoping to, to try to catch up to Ben. So I figured just load up as much as possible, throw stuff in my packable backpack, and, um, just stay on the bike as long as possible. So that, uh, as I was, as I was, um, riding into Chiloquin, it was just really, really, really hot. And, um, that was, you know, not necessarily like playing with my mind. Um, but there were moments where, um, where, I I I had like a I had a tough time actually. I was having some shifting issues and you know typically indexing is working on the indexing with the the rear derailleur for me is super um you know it's it's pretty intuitive uh but it was just like man my mind was it was not working. <laughs> that whole that whole uh concept of indexing um it was just it was just not Uh, not something that I could do at the moment, um, when I noticed I was having some shifting issues. So just another one of those moments where, um, you know, you, you really, especially in terms of like navigation, um, you really have to navigation and cues, um, creating your route. It's really important to, to like do your due diligence and have everything figured out as much as possible before these races and these events, Um, and, and make it kind of, uh, foolproof your plan and your notes. So, um, I mean with like, you know, with the, with derailleur and stuff that, um, that's not something I can, I mean, it is something you can like write down in notes, but, uh, you know, it's not something you're going to think of. There's, there's always going to be weird mechanicals and whatnot that you're going to deal with, but you never know where your, your state of mind is going to be, um, so making things as, as easy as possible, especially logistics-wise, uh, so you don't run out of water because you were just frustrated by mosquitoes. Um, I, I made it into Chiloquin, and I was craving, um, really, really craving some vegetables. Uh, so I ended up just getting like a couple tomatoes and a cucumber, and I was just eating the t- eating the tomatoes as I was, uh, as I was shopping around, um, it was, it was quite the sight for, you know, people in there. Um, because there's, if you're eating a tomato whole, it's not, it's very, very difficult to not have tomato just like dripping all over your face, which was definitely the case for me. Uh, but it was just like, it was delicious. Um, even water, even like cold water didn't really do it at that point. I was just like craving something like, Something fresh and you know, vegetables or fruit. Um, so as I was checking out at that little store in Chiloquin, I asked them, and I was like, Hey, did ha- have you seen another cyclist come in? And they're like, Oh, yeah, totally. And I was like, Oh, really? Um, how long ago? And they're like, Oh, it's probably about two to three hours now. So I was just like, Kind of like deflated. <laughs> I was like, Shit. Oh man, he's so far ahead now. Um, but regardless i you know you just got to you got to keep on moving and you never know what's going to happen these rides in these rides um so i started uh you know left the left the little convenience store um started riding to uh crater lake and crater lake is the it is um let's see it's the deepest lake in the continental us i believe uh, I forget how long the climb was to the to the peak, um, maybe like 2,000 feet or something. But the the race goes around the, the circumference of the lake, which is about 42 miles. And I believe that's about 4,000 feet in elevation um, throughout that. It's just like rolling up and down, up and down. Um, but it's beautiful because, um, you know, you get to see Crater Lake, uh, which fortunately I was able to because the... Um, because the, you know, the, the forest fire that I was worried about, the smoke, um, didn't, was, it, it, it was not there at that point. Um, it had already, it already had already moved on. So it was beautiful. Um, but the, the ride to Crater Lake, especially from Chiloquin was, um, just really, really mind numbing. Uh, just flat roads, flat, straight roads, nothing real exciting to look at and like I had mentioned earlier, it was pretty gray um, because some of the smoke had still settled lower, I guess. Um, it was kind of difficult. Visibility was relatively low. Um, I couldn't really see crater Lake as I was as I was uh, a ways away from it um, just because of visibility. and it also kind of just started like lulling me to sleep again. there was a there was a moment where I was riding on, on the road, and I found myself drifting off, and I totally fell, um, off my bike, because I had ridden off the shoulder onto, like, the gravel, the gravel edge, and, uh, yeah, just kind of, like, kind of dumped myself off the bike, um, it wasn't, it was, it was fine, it, I didn't, like, damage anything, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't high speed, (laughs) because I was already, like, I was already just, like, crawling because I was exhausted and not like paying attention. Um, but yeah, just, it's, you know, something to be aware of. This is, um, especially if you're, if you're on a, on a road, you got to pay attention. You got to make sure you have enough sleep. As I got to the base of Critter Lake and finally started climbing, um, I was, I was really looking forward to it because I was so ready to get off these, really, really boring, flat, straight roads, um, long, flat, straight roads. It was, uh, yeah, just exciting to start climbing. And then I'd never been to Crater Lake before. So, um, again, also really exciting to have my first time being at Crater Lake, um, doing it by cycling around the circumference of it and riding up to it. Um, So, yeah, super excited. Uh, So I just started trying to hammer as much as possible, like the climb to the the climb to the top, um, my whole thought process was just try to try to push it, push as much as possible on the uphills. Um, because I feel like that's a strength of mine. So I thought maybe that would be a way to like start slowly reeling in Ben. Um, it never happened. He was way, way, way ahead of me at this point. Um, but that's where my mind was at that point. And regardless, um, you know, it was, uh, regardless it, what it, it kept me in a, uh, in a, in a really positive mental state, um, kind of having that, uh, you know, having that motivation. So I did a couple different things to, to make the climb, um, go by faster for me. Uh, I would, v- I would vary my cadence a little bit, like. I'd start spinning, and I'd just be sitting on my bike and kind of like spinning my legs as much as possible, and then I would shift into a couple of, in a, into a gear a little bit harder, and then stand up and start pressing again. Um, it was a great way to to also just like take pressure off of um, off of my saddle area. Um, so I I like to do that a lot, um, just kind of stand during. During some hill sections, just get a little bit of pressure off the off the saddle area. Uh, let your body recover a little bit. Fortunately, I never really had um, had too much issues with saddle sores or anything. I was really diligent in just using wet wipes um, to to keep my uh, to keep my chamois like the my shorts and and myself clean. And then I was applying um, chamois butter. Uh, relatively, relatively dig- diligently, uh, maybe like every every four to six hours, and then I would just use those those wet wipes to you know clean myself and also clean off the old chamois butter, put on reapply some new stuff. So that worked out really well for me. Um, never really had any issues there. Um, so going back to actually climbing the climbing cr- up to Crater Lake, I was. Um, so I was at the point where I was just sitting down and I had my head down. I was just like spinning and spinning and spinning and a couple of cars ahead of me, um, or a car ahead of me just like honked. And so that makes me look up. And as soon as I look up, I notice it was a car that's, uh, that's in the, in the lane, in my, in the oncoming lane, but it stopped. It stopped like maybe three car lengths in front of me because maybe two car lengths ahead of me was a black bear um so immediately i stop and the bear looks at the cars it looks at me doesn't have a care in the world and it just saunters across the road and off into the bushes (laughs) uh thankfully But, yeah, it's just like, it was like, all right, uh, traffic, I'm going to look left, I'm going to look right, good to go, okay, see you guys later. Um, It was pretty wild. First time I've ever seen a bear in the wild. Um, And did not expect to see it as I was biking up Crater Lake. Um, Yeah. So, that was pretty cool. And I'm glad that it was as as chill as it was. Um, So... The Crater Lake climb takes a while, doesn't take as long as Steen's Mountain, um, and it has. There's some in, incredible views. If you ever make it to Oregon, go to Crater Lake. If you feel like bringing a bike there, even better, um, because it is just like the 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 one beautiful thing about this route is how you go from you go from like the old growth forest around the Portland area. And then you ride into the like the high desert Oregon area in Eastern Oregon. And then you come to Crater Lake where it's, you know, where it's uh, as you get to the peak of Crater Lake, there's just like this massive crystal blue lake surrounded by um, by forest. Uh, so the route and Oregon in general just has, you know, a tremendous variety of beauty. Um, so I was very fortunate that this was my first uh, first event. Um, of this of this uh, magnitude and that it took place in Oregon. Um, So going back to uh, my ride around Crater Lake, it ended up um, being pretty, uh, pretty lonely, honestly, for it, because I hadn't really seen anybody um, since I talked to the, to the guy in the Martin Shiloquin and I was kind of excited just to have like, you know, getting to Crater Lake, there is there will most likely be some like tourists and um, you know, some some action, like people around, but I saw one car and nobody else. Um, maybe it was just a factor of me me getting there a little bit later. Uh I, I ended up getting to the to the peak of Crater Lake, I think, maybe around eight thirty. Um So I didn't really see anybody. And then uh, the rest of it just ended up like it just started getting darker and darker and darker as I was riding. Um, So it was uh, kind of unfortunate. And especially like at first I was like, hey, this is super exciting. Like I'm doing this. I'm seeing Crater Lake for the first time um, on my bike. Uh, But as I was as I was riding, I'm like, all right, this is cool. Uh, Now I think it would be even cooler to like be sharing this experience with somebody. Um, So yeah, even though I love doing these, these events solo and um, you know, doing my training solo, it's still awesome to have that, you know, that shared experience, especially when you're in this like, you know, magic, incredible location. Um, But regardless, it was awesome. I can't complain. Um, As I, as I descended Crater Lake, I was getting into... There's the, the Umpqua National Forest, um, which you get to as you descend Crater Lake. And by that time, it was getting pretty dark. Um, by By the time I descended, I was probably... I don't know. Maybe... Uh, oh. Sorry. Going back, looking at my notes. Um, I, I started climbing Crater Lake at 4 p.m. Um, I didn't get to the peak at 8.30. I, I actually descended the to the base of Crater Lake at 8:30. So that was four and a half hours where I'd see, where I saw like maybe one person in one car not counting the few cars as I was climbing. Um so by the time I get to the base of Crater Lake it's 8:30. It's dark, it's getting cold, so I stopped to put on warm clothes. Um and I just immediately again start getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. Uh, it was just super frustrating. So I, I just like, I took a bunch of stuff out of my saddlebag and I just had it like all strewn across the, like the ground, um, to make things easier to, to find my clothes, put them on. And, um, side note, this is also another thing to practice, uh, in training and on your multi-day events, try to figure out the most efficient and effective ways of, um, packing your, your equipment and your items so that your like warm clothes, everything that you're going to be using repetitively is easily accessible. And the stuff like, you know, warm clothes, gloves, uh, hat, that type of stuff and stuff that you're not going to be using as much. Um, like your, your sleep system or like more extensive repair stuff, uh, you know, is, is not in a, in a place that's, um, taking up like an immediately accessible area, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, just kind of kind of play around with where you store stuff, so you can figure out the the most efficient means for you, um, which just kind of saves time, saves you time overall. Um, because in these type of races, the last thing you want to be doing is is wasting time just because you haven't packed efficiently. Uh, so that's uh, definitely something I learned during this race. So as I was um, as I was getting my warm clothes on, I. I was looking at the Q sheet, and I noticed that, um, you know, this is this is a general a general theme for me. Um, realizing, trying to figure out where to get water because I had completely forgotten to get water at the uh, at the cabin in Crater Lake um, or the I forget what it is, just like the resort area there. Completely bypassed it and forgot, and um, was running low on water. Fortunately, there was a little there a little resort nearby called Diamond Lake Resort, uh, which was maybe about an hour an hour away. But I wasn't necessarily sure if there was actually going to be a potable spigot or if it was literally just the lake where I'd have to get water from. Um, so I didn't have a filter on me. I do have a Sawyer Mini water filter, um, but at this point, I only had um, I only had purification tablets, and when I looked at them. When I read the instructions, it stated that they had to stay, um, that you shouldn't drink the water for I think it was maybe ninety minutes um, after the the tablets went in, so that they could properly dissolve and disinfect. So that was kind of unfortunate, um, but fortunately, by the time I made Diamond Lake, I realized that there was a potable spigot, and I didn't have to worry about the tablets. But moving forward, also um, just something to keep in mind pay attention to your your hydration means. Um if you just use tablets, are they going to be immediately effective or do you have to wait? Um I'm I'm a big proponent of the Sawyer mini mini filter because it's um it's relatively quick and I don't have to wait for any any means of effectiveness, but I do actually hold on to just a couple purification tablets because you know, they're so lightweight, they're easy to pack. Um if I for any reason end up losing the Sawyer filter or if it ends up getting kind of clogged, then I've got those tablets as a backup. Um, So I make Diamond Lake. I fill up my water bottle, water bottles, and then I decide to just uh, get a little bit more sleep. Um, I lay out my bivy. I set an alarm for about an hour and I slept through it. So I, I fell asleep at like 1020 and I slept until about 240. Which is really surprising because it was, to me, it was freezing. It was a really, really cold at Diamond Lake. Probably low thirties, maybe high twenties. I don't remember. But all I had for insulation insulation was a bivy. Um, I mean, I had I had my leg warmers, I had my puffy jacket. Uh, but my my legs and my feet were completely freezing. Um, being inside just this this sole escape bivy, this emergency bivy, uh, it. It um it it ends up getting wet because of the condensation of your breath. So typically, if you're if you're in a bivy for, I mean, this type of bivy for like more than two hours, then you're getting wet. And that's what happened to me. I woke up and I was kind of like just like moist. It was gross. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm not sleeping anymore in the bivy. Um, I got way more sleep than I needed still did not actually like really feel awake. Um, but, uh, it was just freezing and I wanted to get moving. So I kept, I ended up keeping my puffy jacket on. I kept all my layers on. I had my rain jacket over my puffy jacket. I packed up and I got on the bike and it was awful. It was like, I mean, I, all right. Um, it wasn't awful. I feel like I've been saying that too much. (laughs) Uh, it was just like, so cold and I had been so like going from this like cycling constant state of cycling to just laying down in the cold, my tendons just like my tens and tendons and muscles just tightened up and it, and it made it really difficult to start riding. Um, but as soon as I got riding the, uh, the Umqua national forest was a, it's, um, riding through it. You're on a highway and it is a super, super, super long descent. Um, it's about three, I think a 3000 foot decline, um, average grade, maybe like five to 6%. So you really don't have to pedal. You're just like, you're just rolling and it's great except for the fact that it's cold or except for the fact that I was doing it in the cold. Um, and, uh, and I was already tired. So I noticed that again, with my, with my headlight, my, um, when my headlight was on the, uh, the, um, the center line, there were, uh, the center line of the road. So there's, you know, there's like the, the hard line, the hard yellow line, and then there's like the the dotted yellow line to, to allow for passing, um, to indicate a passing lane. The, my headlight going over those, it was kind of like a strobe effect in a way, those, those little dotted lines. And that was, um, kind of putting me to sleep a little bit. So I kind of tried to keep my eyes off that and, and keep riding. But at some point I was just like, no, I need to, I need to get a little bit more sleep. Um, I'm not really focused, focused enough, focused enough, especially for, uh, you know, being on a road, riding downhill. So I, I just stop. Um, I pull up my BV again. I think this is, you know, a couple hours later and I just lay, lay down and like, just off the side of the road, um, kind of in a woods area, and sleep for uh, probably about uh, 45 minutes, an hour. Start riding again, and I'm good to go. Um, one thing to note, a, uh, a funny, I don't know, kind of a, a funny mention, is the fact that when I was sleeping in the bivvy the first time um, in, the, in the Diamond Lake Resort, I ended up taking my my little like nylon packable backpack and stuffing it <laughs> in my uh in my bib shorts in like the groin area and then also like kind of spreading it down my thighs because that area was just like also super cold and as soon as I started riding um it was I was I was wishing I had thermal pants instead of just or like thermal leggings instead of just uh, leg warmers so that I had that extra layer over like my groin and my thigh area. Um, but yeah, so I ended up just like riding with, uh, with a packable backpack in my shorts to, um, to stay warm, <laughs> uh, especially to keep my thighs warm. Um, so there's, there's this little, little rest stop, uh, through the Umpqua, um, through the highway, through the Umpqua National Forest. I forget what it's called, but I reach it, and I reached it 30 minutes before they opened. Um, They were inside. The people were inside, but they are like, oh, no, sorry, we're not going to open. So I was like, damn it. Um, You know, I just wanted some food, uh, some water. So I just just stopped there and um, took off all my, like, really, really warm clothing um, because I was starting to sweat. The sun was coming up, and just... Uh, went on my way again, but, um, oh yeah, the, the funny part, the thing that reminded me of the packable backpack is, or, or of using the backpack was as I was up there, as I was like standing on the, um, standing on the deck of this little area and, and unpacking my stuff, I realized that I still had the backpack in my shorts. Um, so I pulled it out of my shorts and like, right as, right as I did that, there was, um, there was a woman <laughs> on the road that was out that was out for a run, I guess, and she like ran by and saw me and saw me do that and just like looked the other way and kept going. I was like, all right, well, that, that's probably one of the weirder things she's seen today. Um, but uh, yep, kept my uh, kept my thighs thighs warm, so didn't mind at all. So I'm I uh, get all my warm clothes off. I am not able to get any food or water at this place, and so I just set off and start riding into the corvallis area um and this is i actually i previously lived in corvallis so i was kind of excited to to ride into the area because um i knew where i was going and some of my some of my rides that i that i did while living in corvallis went along the um along the route of the uh, Steens mazama so um yeah i was just kind of looking forward to riding in corvallis but Um, as soon as I kind of got in the area, there's this, there's this road called Peoria road, um, which is just ended up being a really long stretch and a brutal, brutal, brutal headwind. Um, I mean, not brutal. It was, it was just a bad headwind. And, um, this was also around the time where I was starting to think about the fact that I needed to focus on my timing to make the ferry before it closed because, um, it was actually, it was actually getting kind of tight for me. The, the ferry closed at seven, uh, at 7 PM. Um, and I still had, um, I still had quite a ways to go. Um, it ended up after, um, after hitting Peoria road, um, or as I hit Peoria road and I, and I kind of slowed down, I was really, really pressing before then, um, going through the Umpqua National Forest and getting into Corrales, Um And it felt great. Like, I was, you know, I was, I was going at a really decent pace, and I was potentially excited about the fact that it seemed like I was... I was excited about the potential fact that it seemed like I was actually going to be able to make the ferry. Um, but as soon as I hit Pe- Peoria Road and the headwind hit me... Um, that uh yeah that excitement kind of started diminishing and then i started doing the math and realized that i still i had to average maybe like 20 miles an hour um for the next maybe 30 or 40 miles in order to make the ferry in time and immediately my hopes were you know were kind of dashed um i was definitely not in the state to to average 20 miles an hour uh especially with that type of headwind Um, so I kind of just like resigned to, you know, just holding pace and not kind of killing myself to just make the ferry. Um, and made it through Prioria Road, rode through Corvallis, uh, rode by the, the, um, rode by an area I used to live, which is super cool. And then there was actually, as I was riding through Corvallis, there was a, a couple, um, just like standing outside on the road and they were cheering me on. They were like, Hey Seth, good job. And at first I was like, Oh, I, you know, if you're listening, um, I'm sorry. I don't realize, I don't know who you are. Uh, and I was trying to, I was trying to realize if I knew, if I knew who you were at the time, if I should, should know you from living in Corvallis, but, um, I'm not sure. Uh, so thanks. Thanks for the cheering. It was awesome. Um, sorry if I didn't recognize you. But uh, yeah, so that was that was really cool. And then as I rode into Albany, um, somebody I know through uh, through the Oregon and engineering events, his name's Craig Lally. Um, he ended up meeting me because he lives in Albany and he ended up riding with me for a little bit. We rode over to a Safeway uh, or Fred Meyer. Um, I'm not sure a grocery store and just ended up getting some food. Uh Ben was way ahead of me at this point. Uh I realized I wasn't going to be able to make the ferry crossing, so um I just kind of sat down and and ate with Craig, um which is really nice. As we were eating, my uh my family, my mom and her partner ended up um pulling up in uh in their truck, which was um suit. it was really really awesome uh to be able to see them. I w- it was a complete surprise. I had no idea and um so they just came over and like hung out while we are while we were all eating um and then as soon as i was done eating oh also one thing to mention is that i realized all of my cash batteries had run out at this point um i wasn't sure where my headlights were in terms of battery power but uh both of my headlights run on uh rechargeable batteries and all the three cash batteries I had, I think I had like a 10,000 milliamp, a 6,700 milliamp and a 2000 milliamp. They were all dead. Um, So as I was sitting down eating, I was, I had the, I had all of these things charging, just hoping that uh, it would be enough for, um, for this final night. Spoiler alert. It was not. (laughs) Um, So after eating, I said bye to everybody. Um, Thanks my family for coming and, you know, was uh, looking forward to, uh, to seeing him at the finish. And Craig ended up riding with me for a little bit, which was really nice. Um, nice to have some company and just chat with him. And uh, then I just went on my way um, and then started riding into the, uh, the Ankeny Wildlife Refuge, which is around the Albany area. Um, and then again, another, another fun moment as I was riding through there. Um, there's a, there's a woman who came out from, from a house. She was hanging out on the driveway and she's like, Hey Seth. And, uh, we ended up talking briefly and she ended, she was uh, Dennis Hahn's wife, um, who, who ended up coming in third. Um, so she was just like checking in on me, seeing how I was doing, if I need anything really, really generous. It was awesome. Um, sorry, I think your name, Sarah, I'm not sure. I tried looking it up, but I couldn't. I couldn't find it. Um, but thank you so much. Um, so we just had a brief chat. I started riding, and uh, maybe like a couple hours later, as I was riding into the night, my um, primary headlight died. I turned on my backup headlight, and it was already red. So immediately I knew, you know, I these. Did not have enough ter- time to charge. Um, I was really, really terrible in terms of focusing on on charging my lights. One thing, in hindsight, one thing I could have done. And if you are, if you're considering this race, um, when you're in French Glen, and if you're there during the day, um, and you think you're gonna have enough time to to ascend and descend during the daytime. Um, just uh, just charge your stuff at like the at the convenience store or at the uh, restaurant. Um, you know, even if it's just like one of your lights, um, that's a it's a great time to charge because you know it's just this lollipop loop, and you come back uh, a couple hours later. So that's an option. I did not do that. Um, I ran out of batteries. Both of my primary batteries died. All I had left for the rest of the night, um, from like ten o'clock on. Was my little headlight which took takes a single AA battery and it's barely a hundred lumens um, So that was really really difficult just being able to see what was ahead of me um, it slowed me down and It also just kind of it made me tired because you know having having much dimmer lighting um, It you know, it doesn't keep you awake as much uh, and then also I so I end up missing the ferry I had to add on a twenty-minute detour to get around the the little water area or the lake because I didn't want to wait until seven a.m. to make the next ferry. Um, so on top of on top of uh you know just having very minimal lighting to see, I was also adding on twenty more miles to the already thousand-mile-long race, which was a little. Um, you know, not demoralizing isn't the right word, but, uh, yeah, unfortunate. (laughs) Um, so that night was, it was pretty difficult. I was just really, really drowsy, drifting off constantly, really not wanting to sleep because I just wanted to finish the damn thing. Um, I figured I thought I would be able to come in, uh, come in before like maybe around like one or two in the morning and that was without a doubt not the case um i grossly underestimated how long it would take and i think i ended up getting in around like five or six um i don't remember specifically but uh here let's see i might be able to find out um let's see uh around six thirty. yeah around six thirty-five, i guess uh, based on trackleaders.com. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was really, really draining, um, trying to stay awake with, with a lack of light and then just this lack of sleep. Um, so I started, I did everything I could. Um, I was constantly throughout the race, I was utilizing caffeine pills to, to kind of keep myself awake. But I realize now that I think that was also a large factor in creating such, such, um, swings and um uh I guess such difficult difficult moments where um where this the you know the sleep deprivation really hit me hard uh because I was relying on the caffeine and and then as the caffeine kind of weared off um it was kind of just like this you know this plummet so in subsequent races, I've been trying to mitigate the amount of caffeine I use and just try to, try to ride through without it. Um, but, uh, at that, but that night I was, I figured I'd try to listen to some podcasts to keep myself awake. Uh, music wasn't doing it. And finally, I remembered that, um, Craig Pauley, previous winner, uh, he did a podcast about the Steen's Mazama 1000 when he wrote it. So, As I mentioned earlier in this podcast, um, I chose to listen to that because I thought, you know, maybe it'd be cool to, I thought it'd be cool to, to listen to a race about or listen to a podcast episode about Craig's race as I was actually doing the race. And that kind of did the trick. Like it, it engaged me enough. Um, sometimes that's all, sometimes that all, that's all it takes. Just, you know, experience, trying to experience or, um, experience something different, um, find, find something different to engage your mind. Um, sometimes it's like just randomly howling or singing. Um, and then sometimes it's just like finding, finding something to listen to that actually engages you. So thank you, sprocket podcast. And thank you, Craig, for the interview, because that, uh, was, was awesome and, uh, kept me awake, uh, most of the time to the finish. So, as I was getting to the finish, I w- I started getting um inundated with texts. It was it was it was really awesome. My my phone was buzzing like I had I had friends, I had my family waiting at the finish, I had friends waiting at the finish. Um one of my friends texted me saying he was like maybe like 3 to 5 miles away from the finish like waiting for me so that um so that he could ride in with me. Uh so it was as exhausted as I was and I even had to take a couple moments to like stop the bike and just like recollect myself um get back on the bike and keep moving uh as difficult as that final night was it was um you know just so incredible rolling in to uh so my friend adam thanks adam for meeting me um he rode with me as we rode into the finish and my mom was there at the finish um Uh, her partner, Sandy, my other mom, and, um, then just a bunch of my friends. Um, let's see. Uh, Eric, Eric was there. Andrea was there. Um, John was there. Logan, uh, let's see, DBR, who is the one who told me about the Steen's Mazama. And then of course, Adam, um, Eric and Andrea, made a um made a little trophy for me out of like this big water jug and then they put a pbr on top of it and they had like a bunch of candy um candy next to it which is which is really thoughtful um it was just yeah it was really exciting to just roll in and have friends there even though it was super early um and uh i kind of just like gave a brief overview of my gear i was i was really excited to just like talk to people um and I probably smelled. I definitely smelled terrible. Um, there are some photos. There'll be photos on the website of me at the finish, and you can definitely tell I'm a little exhausted. Um, my mom and uh, and Sandy, they um, they ended up renting a, a hotel in the Portland area, so they could. Um, so they ended up just like just picking me up at the finish. Um, we grabbed some food. I forget where. Uh, just grabbed some sandwiches and stuff, and just rode over to drove over to the hotel so that um, that I could just you know uh, crash. <laughs> um, I ended up. I was watching TV um, in bed as I was eating, and uh, and I just ended up falling asleep uh, with a sandwich in hand. So. That was, um, and I mean, that wasn't even, that wasn't even like, uh, I finished at six thirty in the morning. So that was probably in the afternoon or something. Um, and then I just like ended up sleeping through the day. So yeah, that's the, that's the story of the Steen's Mazam 1000, um, of my experience during it. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that was entertaining. Uh, I would, I would greatly appreciate any, uh, any feedback and any um, any requests for podcast episodes or questions, um, yeah. As a wrap up, I'd also like to uh, to state that during my during my time researching um, this sport and going through YouTube videos and podcasts, all that stuff, I was really grateful for the people who were transparent in their in their, um, experiences with the sport of ultra endurance cycling, but also who are willing to share, um, share their knowledge and take the time to share their knowledge of the sport, uh, to make it more accessible and, um, and make it seem, seem more attainable because some of this stuff like, you know, doing a thousand mile ride or even just like a a multi-day adventure can be, can be daunting for anybody. So it's great to to have these have these people and organizations that are um, that are sharing and um, and making it uh, you know making the the sport more connected and ultimately that's what led me to uh, creating a podcast because um, I'm relatively new to the sport and I figured as I'm learning. from these experiences, I can share uh, what I've gained in knowledge. Um, I can share my experiences. And then also I can interview people who um, who are also experienced athletes, talented athletes, um, uh, knowledgeable bikepackers, and people who are involved in developing the community and making it more inclusive. All right, so that wraps part two of the Steen's Mazama 1000 episode i hope you enjoyed if you uh if you'd like to i'd really appreciate if you subscribe to the podcast and then went to itunes to uh to leave a comment and rate the podcast that would help with visibility and it would just help uh, give me feedback to make the podcast better in this upcoming episode number three i will be talking with megan Hackinen. megan's a writer and ultra endurance cyclist from vancouver british columbia uh, Megan just recently published a travel memoir titled South Away, The Pacific Coast on Two Wheels. Megan's a finisher of the Trans Am, the North Cape 4000, Paris brest Paris, and just recently she was the world 24 hour time trial champion and course record holder in the women's division with a distance of 460.8 miles. So in this episode, we're mostly going to be discussing Megan's experience racing the North Cape 4000. Um, so tune in it's a it's a great conversation and I hope you enjoy